You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, we've talked a lot about the point of social studies being about citizenship. That's kind of your thing. You talk a lot about that. I'm a little bit not totally on board. I dig what you're saying, but I feel like there's also some other skills that you can get in social studies. Yeah, I guess what I would do is say, don't those skills eventually, like in some indirect way, help you become a better citizen? Oh, that's interesting. It's kind of like the Captain Planet thing where you have all these things building up into one citizenship. I was also going with the like Karate Kid metaphor or Mr. Miyagi. Like, where, like, yeah, Daniel's son's finally like fed up. He's like, I don't want to paint the fences and, and wash the cars anymore. And then he shows them all the powers he's gained. Throughout my life, my mother's given me lots of chores, but never have I learned any karate through them. So I feel like she's done a big disservice to me. Right, right. It would. I, you probably kept waiting for the moment when she was going to be like, "Here's all the skills you learned." Yes. Right. Yes. She never. I feel did. like folding, putting socks together, like into two, has to be some kind of karate move, right? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So where I was really trying to go with this a little bit is that I think at least a primary component of social studies education should be about like what we actually can do in the world, right? How we take action in the yes. world. But I don't think we do it that much. I mean, shouldn't more of our curriculum be about figuring out like how we make the world a, a better place and take action on important issues? So that's interesting. In Massachusetts this year, they just put through a requirement where students have to complete one student-led non, non-partisan civics project throughout there from eighth grade forward. Now, students can also opt out of it and do something else with the approval of the principal, but it seems like, according to the state of Massachusetts, they would like us to start doing at least one thing, Dan. It's interesting it's nonpartisan, and I get on some level why that's the case, but is that like a requirement? Like, what if a school or teachers agreed they wanted to address something partisan, and then who decides what's partisan and not partisan? That's interesting. I know in one of the last episodes we talked about, we had a a question of whether or not voting was worth it, right? And so it would also be kind of interesting if you have people who are trying to fight for voting and fighting against voting at the same time. Would that cancel each other out? Like, that's interesting. I don't know if voting is partisan, although I do think that some people think it is. Oh, I think it certainly has been. I mean, if you look at voter ID laws and there's been efforts to suppress votes throughout U.S. history, right? So, like, it's hard to get into any issue that doesn't have partisan tentacles to it because in the end, like a lot of the things in society are governed by laws that are passed by legislators who are politicians. So I think what we're getting at a little bit is we've talked a lot on this program in various episodes about inquiry and the C3 framework, and it has four dimensions. The second part of the last dimension is about taking informed action. But I wonder if we know how to do that or leave room to do that, because that can be really time consuming to do it right and to do it in meaningful ways. And it seems like I feel like a lot of educators are like, okay, what do we have? We have 30 minutes left to take informed action, which is not probably always going to make the kind of impact and, and learn the kind of lessons you need. So I think we need guidance on how we take informed action. That we do. If only there is someone who we had on, oh, wait a second, Dan, 
did you see who's on with us? This is a perfect person to help us take informed action and learn how to do so. So we would like to welcome to the podcast, Carly Mutertees. Welcome. Hi, everybody. How are you guys? We're doing great. We are so happy to have you back. I'm happy to be here. I'm officially a friend of the pod, I think. You are. That's the, <laughs> the second visit means you're officially our friend, which makes me feel a little bad now that like are all the other and only one-time guests not friends. Uh, Carly, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and particularly your work around inquiry projects and social studies? So I am currently the managing editor of the C3 Teachers website. Before I joined the C3 teacher team, I was a high school social studies teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. Whoa. <laughs> I'm currently a doctoral candidate at the University of Kentucky. One of the first tasks I had when I came on as the C3 teacher managing editor was I worked on the New York Toolkit, which were the first inquiries that were built for the C3 teacher website. So that is where I really got my feet wet in terms of taking informed action. And when I first started writing inquiries, I really did not have any idea what to do with that part of the inquiry. And you've been on our show talking about one of the inquiries you've done. Do you mind telling us a little bit, just very, very briefly, about the inquiry that you talked about? I wrote an inquiry on Kentucky slavery for fourth grade. What had happened was I have a number of elementary school teacher friends who were complaining about their state history curriculum. So I took it upon myself to write a slavery-based inquiry for them to implement in their classrooms. And what was really important for me in that inquiry was to have that taking informed action component at the end. So through the course of the inquiry, they are learning about what made the slavery system in Kentucky different than perhaps in Mississippi or Tennessee. And then the final component was to consider how that history shaped Kentucky history. And then they assessed an issue in their community. So in Lexington, there used to be two Confederate monuments. At the time that these students first did that inquiry, we had two slave owners on a site called Cheapside in Lexington. And what made that doubly problematic was Cheapside used to be a slave auction site. So in that inquiry, students learned about the history of Kentucky slavery, considered what impact it had on the state's history, then they assessed where the history of slavery was in their community. And the Cheapside slave auction site did not have any marker indicating that slavery had ever been there. However, there were two slave owner statues placed in that area. So they wrote suggestions to the mayor as to what should be done in the Cheapside area. And I think what was key about that taking informed action was that the teacher did not say, write a letter that these statues need to go. It was, what do you think needs to happen in this site? And several students said those statues needed to be removed. Some said they should be left. And then there should be a statue added to commemorate or to remember slavery. And some said we shouldn't do anything. 
So the idea was that they learned about their history and then they took civic action by applying that knowledge to an issue. And then within months, it became a pretty hot topic in Lexington. And now those statues have been removed. So, you know, I've heard a lot about taking informed action of people writing letters to the editor. I like that yours was much more targeted and specific to an actual decision maker. I worry that, you know, with a lot of these taking informed action, that we are going to just completely saturate the letters to the editor section of newspapers with everyone doing the exact same thing, you know? Is that such a bad thing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> one, I, I say good. That would be wonderful. The, the second part of that would be for teachers and students to really think about who the stakeholders are on any particular issue. Is it an elected representative? Is it an organization in their community? Is it their parents? You know, if you look at some of the inquiries, the taking informed action is to have an informed conversation with someone who isn't their classmate on whatever the topic is. Interesting. So just dinner time conversation. Well, exactly. The idea is that whatever you're doing in the classroom, you're applying in an out of classroom context. And being a citizen as an adult is not just writing letters to the editor. It's engaging with others. It's having conversations. And it's also advocating for issues that you find important. You don't necessarily have to write a stakeholder. Maybe you are making a public service announcement. Maybe you are creating a poster to hang in a school or a public place. I'm curious with that of taking informed action, the, the challenge of taking informed action, which is the state of Massachusetts tried to avoid, seemed to be that they didn't want it to become partisan. It seems like in this case, the idea of what to do about Confederate or the statues of slave owners, that it's very, there's been a very politicized issue. So there's students are going to come down in different perspectives. But I also could see students bumping into problems where they feel like their classmates, for example, are advocating for like racist policies. Like how does that play out in the class where you're, for example, I know in my classrooms I want to see justice, but of course we know how the real life politics work out, that some people are in favor of more justice oriented solutions and other people are in favor of solutions that maintain structures of white supremacy and other things in society. So how as a teacher do you manage that? And I think that's part of just help, uh, uh, you know, addressing the issues that really happen in society, which a lot of teachers don't actually want to do, because that's kind of scary. I think, and I'll jump off that last part first, is I think one of the most important parts is being willing to discuss some of these uncomfortable topics when a lot of teachers just try to avoid them. I think students really appreciate when teachers will allow them that space to grapple with things that society is talking about. On the other end of it, in terms of worrying that they are going to argue for, you know, racist, horrible ideas, that goes into the kind of inquiry you are setting up for them. You know, we're talking about taking informed action, but that even goes back to our compelling questions. Sometimes we craft compelling questions that they're compelling, but if a student answers it in one particular way, it might be problematic. For example, there is a compelling question that was proposed at some point along the line, whether Hitler was a good leader. 
Now, I think you can phrase that question in a way to assess why he had that cult of personality and why people were attracted to him as a leader. But do we really want our students writing an essay, Hitler, a good leader? So when we're crafting these experiences in our social studies classroom, we don't want to give them material to create you know, neo-nationalist or racist opinions. We want them to engage with those opinions, but we don't want to validate those kinds of ideas. One thing I tell my students is that not all opinions are valid. I don't think racist opinions are valid, but we can treat opinions fairly. And that's where you allow students to engage with those ideas, but also as the teacher, you are the gatekeeper. You need to make sure that you're not validating information that isn't factual and information that could hinder the common good. I think that idea of the common good has really been helpful to me. And I know a lot of scholars who talk about how you discuss controversial public issues in classrooms have suggested that instead of asking you what your opinion is, we can ask, what do you think is in the interest of all people, especially considering there are diverse views on this topic. It's very Rousseauian too, the general will. Indeed. <laughs> and I think it, what it does is it, it may, if they wanted to hold some kind of views that discounted or slandered or literally left out or were racist against this particular group, it's hard to answer that question that you're doing it in terms of the common good. And so it challenges them at least to rethink it within the structure of the class. But of course, we know young people hold views that are, you know, biased and bigoted. And so if we don't do anything in the classroom, it seems like that's not going to help them even rethink those views, possibly. It, it seems like the framework from Genevieve Caffrey in episode 100, where she talked about the Let's Act, getting the diverse perspectives, the diverse viewpoints might be beneficial, particularly for things that can be controversial. So I teach world history, and I know that a lot of my colleagues, particularly in the like elementary, they teach like ancient Egypt. What type of informed action can we take for things like ancient Egypt, for you know different ancient civilizations? How can we make sure that that's relevant too? You know. So when I first had to write inquiries, I was told that I was going to be doing world history, and I got really excited because I taught world history as well. But then they told me it would be ancient world history, which was a little bit more daunting in terms of thinking about that civic education component. So no matter what subject you're teaching, whether it's ancient Egypt, ancient China, ancient civilizations to modern day issues, you want to think about what is the purpose of teaching that particular content? What is its relevancy? Why should kids care about that content? And then how can they apply that content to their out-of-classroom lives? I recently wrote an inquiry looking at ancient Egypt, and the compelling question was, what do the pyramids tell us about a people? And the idea with that was looking at different cultural products and try to weave together a story about a society. The taking informed action for that was a little bit more archeological, like what are the difficulties in understanding others when we don't have much evidence to go off of? In another recent one I wrote, it was looking at ancient civilizations in terms of technology. And when we look at the growth of civilizations, 
these new technological advances had positive and negative consequences. So the civic component of looking at ancient civilizations is thinking about what are the technologies we use today and are they having positive or negative consequences. For that ancient civilizations one, we had students assess the positive and negative consequences of cell phones. And then after they did that, they had to determine whether there's an organization called Wait Until Eight that encourages parents to not let their kids have cell phones till they're in eighth grade. So in that inquiry, we had students assess whether their reasoning was good reasoning and whether they as sixth graders should encourage parents to take the wait until eighth pledge. So that was a social issue, a cultural issue that students were taking action on, but not necessarily partisan. So it's really just boiling down whatever it is you're teaching to its consequences for what students' lives look like outside of the classroom. So I, I have a question specifically that we don't have the answer to. What do you do with the kid? Like, how do you make plans if everyone, like, if people don't have home phones? How, how do kids make plans with each other? I'm asking because I have a daughter. Obviously, she's in the room right now. And not that she's calling anyone to make plans, but maybe one day she will. You're going to have did... to get a home line. <laughs> You're going to have to be one of those people. Oh, man. How did, how, how did kids make plans back in the day? <laughs> back in ancient Egypt? I have no idea. I think you just... I don't know. You sent a hieroglyph out? See if any yeah. response? <laughs> Pass the notes. <laughs> so it, it is interesting. And I think, you know, you see those themes throughout history, whether it's around technology, whether it's around issues of injustice, whether it is in those issues, those themes are still around in the present. And so when we bring those out, all of a sudden we find ways we can address that. And so in this Egyptian lesson, they actually pulled out the technology piece and evaluated technology today. That's really clever. And I think there's a, there's a lot of potential ways they could you know, use those as metaphors for our current day contemporary problems. And you can also think about how to have a taking informed action be an exercise that isn't necessarily taking up a whole class period or several class periods. If you determine that reason why you're teaching a topic, you think about the who cares of any topic, then you can create individual exercises that really revolve around it. When you look at ancient societies, I mentioned ancient China. One of the inquiries I worked on had to do with the first emperor of China, who was very repressive. He burned scholars, burned books, so he destroyed freedom of speech. Well, what that led into is an assessment of current legislation in Kentucky that revolved around the freedom of expression and to think about how that issue of freedom of speech is pretty consistent throughout space and time. So what advice do you have for teachers trying to work this fourth dimension out to enact the taking informed action piece of inquiries in their classrooms? I think the biggest thing to remember is that taking informed action is a way to reinforce what it is you're wanting students to learn by upping the stakes, by showing them that what you're learning in the social studies classroom, ancient to the present, does apply to their out-of-classroom lives. 
So my first suggestion is don't leave it out because it really can reinforce what you're trying to do in the classroom anyway. The second part is to think about taking informed action, sometimes abstractly. In terms of ancient Egypt, having students build pyramids is not taking informed action. That's really not applying to their civic lives. But aren't you teaching people how it looks? <laughs> yes, you you can do that. I, I, I'm assuming that everyone knows. <laughs> you can totally have them build a pyramid, but that's not taking informed action. It's sometimes those connections are really easy to make. They it seems like a really clear thread between content. Sometimes you have to be more conceptual. Like the first emperor of China, we went into freedom of speech issues. When I taught the Gutenberg Press, we talked about issues of communication. When we, the Roman Empire, the fall of the Roman Empire, looking at other empires and their overall trajectory in history. Sometimes they're pretty abstract. Sometimes the parallels are a little more obvious. But to kind of play around with it. And ultimately, it comes down to the importance of teaching that topic. So we're, you know, we're talking about this with my colleagues do we take informed action all the time? Is there, Can students have a choice on which things that they're going to take an action about, which they feel passionate about? I guess I'm just trying to figure out a way to, not that I don't want to take informed action all times, but I want students, if they're going to do like a, an informed action project, that it's something that they really do care about. Like what okay. if we go through, you know, a unit where we do a couple of these inquiries, can they choose which one they're going to take to informed action or does that ruin the entire arc? if we don't go forward in every single time? I, it doesn't ruin the arc if you don't go through it every single time. As much as I would love for everyone to be doing it, you know, teaching is a zero-sum game. You can't do it every time. I think, like you mentioned, that is a way to do it, is at the end of a unit to have students craft their own taking informed action. Taking informed action exercises can be something that you weave throughout the curriculum. But you don't have to designate, you know, weeks upon weeks to these large civic projects every unit. That doesn't necessarily work with your schedule. I think a taking informed action project at the end of the year, after you've gone through maybe some smaller ones through the course of the year, can be really effective. However, you also need to think of it a little organically, as you said. If you are telling students what action to take all of the time, they are not truly participating in the civic process, that they need to have some agency in terms of that. So you're not telling them what to argue in terms of the taking formed action, and then maybe giving them a little bit more decision-making power when they craft those. So there's really not a right or wrong answer, but if you want them to have practice engaging as citizens, you have to provide opportunities for that. It reminds me of there's never one right way to eat a Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was their entire ad campaign. That was like, it was big. <laughs> you should take action to address that you know, message that's clearly not gotten out to enough people in society. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think... You know, I honestly, when I dream about what I would want school to be like, I wish we had a month for each inquiry, right? Like these IDMs that are on C3Teachers.org, I wish we did have a month for them. I think that would provide a better education. 
in my experience, I would say like, you know, survey type courses for kids are a bore, right? They don't want a lot of information. They want deeper connections with some information and some ideas and some themes. So I would actually love to see schools where they're able to get away from the standards or where it's a non-tested subject to be able to spend a, a while, you know, maybe spend, you know, two weeks on an Egyptian inquiry and then spend two weeks ta- doing that technology so you could actually make some progress and some kind of real change that could possibly happen. I always remember I was at a teacher workshop before my first year of teaching and somebody at the workshop, you know, said, well, what this, if you have a whole, if you, if you don't have standards, then people will spend a whole month on Rome. And I was everyone, I just looked at him. I remember being like, I don't understand, like, that's what you're mad about? That someone would spend a whole month learning about a topic as opposed to like three days. And so I think I would love to see that we have more time dedicated to meaningful change in action because that's what we need in our world in the end, right? Um, is, is all of these, this history is meant to inform us in our present life. I think as history teachers, we love the topics, whether world history or U.S. history. Yeah, we do. That we... <laughs> Well, we sometimes forget that not everyone thinks it's as fascinating as we do. So when you think very intentionally about that civic action component, you're showing students why you care about the information and why you want them to care as well. And I also do think it's important to understand that you sometimes do have schools where you'll have a lot of consensus around issues that are important to that community. And it's not always an issue of partisan politics, but, you know, teachers have been activists with their students and with their classrooms before. I often, I think I've referred on this podcast before to Clara Looper, who was kind of a hero in the Oklahoma Civil Rights Movement. She was a high school teacher and her and her students went and, and get conducted sit-ins, successfully took action and got a major, you know, kind of downtown pharmacy to desegregate nationally across the country. And I always ask my students, do you think she was wrong to take a part, a side on this very partisan issue? And I've never heard anyone say that they thought she was wrong. So I think it's always understanding and knowing your students is important. And some teachers in their communities know that there's change that a lot of people do want. And I, I think that's what our world needs. Changes. <laughs> so, Carly, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. We are always, oh, whenever you want to come back, feel free. We're I might take here. you up on that. <laughs> Carly, so where can our listeners find all these amazing inquiries that you're mentioning online and where can they find more information about your work online? Well, Dan, they can find these inquiries at c3teachers.org and you can get me on Twitter at c3teachers and on Facebook, c3teachers. You can also email me at carly.mutertees at uky.edu. And I'll make sure to share links in the show notes for you all. Because your, your name is very difficult <laughs> to spell. <laughs> we'll make sure to get it all in the show notes. And also we'll link to the specific inquiries that you discussed in the podcast today. So if anyone wants to do those inquiries in their class, you'll have the resources. So thank you again for joining us today, and we hope to continue the discussion online, on Twitter, with at C3Teachers, and in other spaces. Wait, did you just steal my line? I, I don't know. It says Dan before it. <laughs> oh, okay. At the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun, creative, in education, or you just want to chat, and really, you do, tweet us 
at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, which is new, and anywhere you want us to be. And if we're not there, let us know because we'll take up residence. And if you're just all about taking action right now, we've got a suggestion. Write us a five-star review. Please. And then we'll take more action by reading it on the air. Yes, and you- I'm going to have a new refrigerator, so I'm going to need more stuff. This is going to have to be a giant fridge. We've got some <laughs> great reviews. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Carter. And I'm at 42 Thinky. Until next time, this is the Vision of Education podcast, signing off. Just kidding. Full credit out to Zach Seitz, our amazing editor.